Welcome to the Lateral Mind podcast. This is the first episode and let's introduce everyone. Myself, Michael Duncan. We have Martin McPhillamy and Luke O'Keefe. I hope you enjoy the episode. One amazing podcast and I was like, how can I beat this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had some guy, like uh, an ex-SAS guy from back in England, back in the back mm. in SAS back in the 70s. And he just had so many stories of his life. His name was Bear, but he wasn't Bear Grylls. But he, it turned out he was actually um, Bear Grylls' boss at one point. Oh, really? And like, yeah, when he was like six years old, he got lost. Um, his, he, he lost his dad when he was like six years old, but his family never told him the reason to why he died. Oh, right. So he ran away from home and he went and spent a week in a cave. And he lived in a cave when he was like six. Wow. And as, like, as you do. Yeah. <laughs> and his, the story just didn't stop from there. It was just okay. constantly just kind of like... Yeah, just survival stuff and and just yeah a load of jokes and inside he works he works security in the middle east now but wow okay he's obviously over here because of covid and stuff <laughs> but yeah i was afterwards i was like who's next <laughs> yeah <laughs> can't beat it i'm just gonna quit <laughs> yeah 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 pretty much so but that wasn't the last one you did that was the last that one. was the last yeah, that oh wow so that's so that's interesting so that kind of scared you into or not scared you you, oh, yeah. set, you set up pretty high and you felt good with that podcast, you didn't Yeah, you? and I was just like, I'm just waiting for the next um, the next person who's going to be as interesting as that guy. But mm. you know, you've, got yeah. to, you've got to ask people to find that anyway. And I just, yeah. haven't, just haven't had it. My, my direction in life changed away from podcasting, but I am definitely going to go back to it because it's such a good resource to meet people and mm. to... Um, uh, it, it's a way you can kind of network without having to go out to bars and you know, like, yeah, out to and events it's a, and stuff. A unique experience as well. So you get to have a sort of unique kind of strange mm. bond that you wouldn't have if you're yeah, yeah, just yeah. meeting in a cafe or something like that. Yeah. It's a little bit different. You yeah. instantly get to deliver value because it's about them. You make it about them. You can yeah. make snippets on social media for them. You can kind of get them to promote their book or whatever. So yeah, it's yeah. almost like you're giving something and get something at the same time. So definitely. Yeah, and this great. one tonight's about me, please. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Michael Duncan. <laughs> Just me. The life of Michael Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's over. That's done. We're, we're finished. <laughs> so, look, this is your um, maiden podcast. It is. Have you listened to many podcasts? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Joe Rogan, I've listened to. Uh, Rich Roll, um, listened to some of his. So, they're my, probably my staples on those ones. Um, but other than that, um, not too many. Yeah. I have a tendency to read. More than than listen, um, audiobooks and and or read. You're um, old still school. just still old school. <laughs> yeah, there's something about tangibly holding something and reading through it. Um, I probably need to catch up and, uh, <laughs> with technology and, and listen a bit more. Um, but yeah, I'm exactly the same. I, I think I really enjoy having the book in my hand and like it feels like you're. I'm connecting with the author more when I've done that. Mm. I think when you, for me anyway, when I get an audio book, I don't. I don't feel like I've gone out and purchased something, mm. and I haven't given the you know, the creative individual. I know I have given some money yeah. in a way, but taking that book off the shelf, it's like an honouring, mm. a way of honouring someone, and sort of thing. Like I appreciate your work, or I'm at least interested in your work. So then you may take it away. But I always find when I read books, I never read the last chapter. Mm. <laughs> I think we can listen, ask some more questions here. I think. I wonder. So you've never finished a book? No, I have. I have. I have. <laughs> But I, there's so many books that I'll get like 
there'll be 20 pages left and I'll be like I've read the majority of this book I don't read no I don't read novels no, uh, okay. so if it's a sorry, novel sorry. if it's a novel obviously I was going to say a novel would be hard yeah 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 I'd be like alright yeah okay just get all the way through it and just throw it away like I don't even know I don't even know you need to know the ending <laughs> um, I just like to the suspense you know um, now nah, but often they're you know, personal development books or psychology mm -hmm. books so it's more informational or educational and I think the last bit's just usually a conclusion or summary or references or frameworks at the end and I usually just go right I'm, I'm interested in what I'm going to read next mm. time anyway yeah 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 I'm an audiobook addict I think I, I fall asleep with books like if I, it, like lazy afternoon get a book out start reading yeah. my eyes like after a couple of pages it's just sort of slowly but slowly drift drift away but I think with audiobooks for me it's just too I, I do listen to too many Mm. Yep. Like, would you? It's obviously okay for me just now, but I'm not. I don't think I'm getting like you would do if you're studying a book, reading a book, highlighting, mm. going over and over. I'm a bit more of a like an addict in regards to just playing through them. But yeah. You get your you get your little bits and pieces of kind of knowledge and information from them. But um, yeah, I should probably I need, probably need a new technique. In I know Conrad listens then reads, or other way around, reads then listens, or, or and take notes. But I've never been a note taker a, for a interesting way to enhance your learning. Mm -hmm. So there's been research that's been done recently that if you study and you put either a scent or a sound in the background, mm -hmm. and then you replay that scent or sound, put that scent in a room or replay that music or whatever it is at nighttime when you're sleeping, it will help the process of education because mm -hmm. of learning. Because obviously during learning during REM sleep is when we uh, uh, process these memories and these the thoughts and we're, we're basically learning and stapling it into our mind. And does that noise or smell just create that connection? Yeah, to so what it's you like you, you're essentially you're, you're like anchoring the, the knowledge in a way mm. to to your, into your mind and yeah, so we like increase like seventeen percent um, recall memory, twenty twenty percent roughly. Mm. And then the next level is when you go lucid dreaming and start learning inside mm. your lucid dreams, see, which you can see, <laughs> seemingly do. Seemingly do. Have you ever had a lucid dream? No, I don't think so. I practiced, I would say, oh, going back four years ago now, um, when I first kind of started getting into like really relaxing yoga. So like a, a yin yoga where you're uh, fixing on really kind of calm your body down. You're essentially trying to fall asleep in poses, but you're trying to focus on your breathing at the same time so you're, you're trying to keep your mind awake but your body relaxed mm. and you can get to a state where you are essentially almost like you're dreaming you're so in your thoughts right. that you you do get to a point where you can start to visualize and particularly if i've um, been a bit high or smoked a bit of cannabis i could lay there after and be so relaxed that i could start to visualize so vividly that yeah it's like you're creating a um, mm. like a like a dream state and I remember uh, there was one time where I was kind of missing my family back at home. So I tried to vividly make an image of myself in my family's room back at home. And it was just so clear. There was so much clarity that I was in this room with my parents. So it was just like when I woke up, I come out of it. I was just like, huh, I actually don't feel as if I miss my, pam my, my parents as much as uh, I, the, you did, did anymore. It was, it was a really amazing experience. Mm. Um, yeah, that was a while back. That was when I was playing around with trying to try to learn how to lucid dream. That's like I was going to say. That's a forced sort of lucid dream, isn't mm. it? Sort of keeping yourself just on that cusp and mm. then letting yourself drift in with the thought that you had. Mm. Um, yeah, I've done that a couple of times where I've just and it's been a flying stuff, which has been awesome. Like where I've been able to control. Suddenly realize you're dreaming, and I'll be on a building or whatever, and it's like okay, I can jump, and I know if I push upwards, I'm going to go flying like through the sky. It's absolutely awesome. It's only happened like maybe three times. Once when I was a kid, and I remember it vividly flying, 
in the dream <laughs> down the street um, near near where I where I live in Morton Hall, and it was just so vivid. I mean, it was a dream, mm. but oh, I was just insane. And I've, I know you, there's lots of practices you you can do like dream journaling and yeah, obviously just getting your mind in the right space before falling asleep. Mm. If you wake up, it's obviously where we dream mostly when we're in REM sleep. So it's like early you, morning, usually like four, early morning. Five. So you can you can kind of time an alarm, put an alarm between three and five a.m., and you can kind of try and wake up when your alarm goes off and instantly write down what you what you what you've dreamt about because mm. we figure that dream straight away. Yeah. And then you can do that consistently. And yes, it increases the chances that you're likely to remember your dream or go back into your dream. Yeah. But as a uh, famous uh, neuro, I think he's a neurobiologist or neuropsychologist, he's called Andrew Huberman. And he's got an amazing scientific podcast. And he just, he just spent the last five or six weeks talking all about sleep. And he talks about lucid dreaming. And he says that he used to be able to get a... Um, like a something like like a blindfold that has like a little tiny red light just above your eye, so that it just flashes very very lightly. But when you fall asleep, you can kind of recognise as a like a light there, mm. and so you're like you're asleep, but you're kind of keeping yourself awake at the same time. So when you start to dream, you see the light, and you're like, "Ha, okay, I'm awake, so I can actually kind of yeah. control my my dreams now." And he said that yeah. he used to do that when he was like 14 years old. Wow. Yeah, okay. And they reckon if you like during the day, if you sort of look at your hands every every couple hours and go, "Okay." When I'm dreaming tonight and I see my hands, I'll wake up. So these little little cues, yeah, yeah, traps to sort of get mm. you get you to wake up because you never see like if you think about your dreams, you never really see your body really. But so the hand is a very sort of special thing in a dream to see, and if you see that, hopefully you wake yeah, up. Yeah, but yeah. um, but you know, Tim Ferriss talks about talking about podcasts, talks about learning because he's tried lucid dreaming and sort of learning over language, and it's more going over what you've learned during the day, mm. as you said, sort of taking in the knowledge and then at night trying to sort of cement that because I think just now my my stuff just goes in and sort of flies around I'll grab little bits but then you know I probably I need to go a bit deeper yeah mm. that's but where it's challenging with audio boxes like I find just to retain that information because you're often listening to them when you're either driving or you're, yeah, yeah you're using it in spare time aren't you you, know, you might be doing the dishes or the house cleaning or something like that dog you, walking you dog walking you put them on so it's not like with a book you've got to be in the present and immersed mm. in it we can't just kind of like, we can't. You just can't, need to get a Tesla. Be, you, you yeah, <laughs> you can't be somewhere else and read the book at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. So what are you, what's your hardcover book or, or real book that you've currently got on the, so on the coffee I, table? I, I tried something at, or over the Christmas break because I'm very similar to yourself. Um, I'll read books around personal development, psychology, how to improve yourself, how to understand yourself, how to develop self-awareness. Um, and so within that, thanks, Mike, I'll lean no forward, worries. I am the newbie. Um, within that, I, I, I realized over Christmas I needed to, to try something new. And so I, I actually read a um, recommendation from a mate of mine. It's called The Overstory. And it's a story where humans and trees, trees intertwine. So it tells a story of trees and forests and how they communicate to one another. And all these little human stories that are happening apart from but then interconnect with trees and people become deeply passionate about trees and the protection of trees. Um, and they show how the science catches up to show that forests and trees do talk. Mm. And there's a difference between, yeah, we can cut down old growth forest and we can put new trees in, but it doesn't account for old growth forests mm. because that holds a whole ecological system to it so there's a deep meaning to it but it was also just a story about people's lives so it was really enjoyable 
Do they um, talk about, um, is it mycelium and the fungus and stuff that yeah. connects the roots and that's yeah. where sort of the, they give each other sort Yeah, of so if there's a tree that's sick, they will transfer through the fungi. So the fungi working in harmony with trees will take the nutrients down. Um, another time, if a tree is struggling, they'll release um, like a pheromone that will call a bug to come across and attack what is actually killing the tree. Um, and putting across that concept that somewhere along the line, we forgot that we're a part of that ecology. Yeah. Um, the author actually wrote um, in, a little, in a little piece that we're the only species on this earth that has forgotten where it comes from and it's connected to the natural world. We seem to want to be apart from the natural world, concrete things, build buildings and work ourselves away from it, almost like we're responding to threat. Mm. Right, so because we've come as a species, yeah. over us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. if we look at ourselves in the context of nature, we are w one of the most weak physically. Um, you know, since we I became speak for yourself. Look. Eh, sorry, mate. Um, <laughs> since we've become upright, while we're able to, through our higher cognitive ability, become bipedal, we're also ex exposing our yeah. most vulnerable parts. And so it's that higher consciousness wanting to move us away from that threat, back to the fight or flight, and that way is to remove ourselves and set ourselves in opposition to that natural world. So it was a very deep, mm. deep story, which was, was really good to read. Is it told with sort of narrative form or is it more factual sort of? Yeah, more narrative. So yep. it'll tell the story of the people. So, you know, it'll tell the story of, of a family that came from Shanghai in China and the dad became an engineer in America and the daughters grew up unaware of, of their dad's history, um, but grew up under a, uh, a mulberry tree and then it tells the story that, that the dad ended up taking his own life and, you know, different things like that. Another family took her, took her, their grandfather took original oak seeds when he met his partner in New York, moved all the way out to Idaho, started planting these seeds and, and then a, a whole um, virus came and wiped out the oak trees across America. But he had one of the last oak trees. Mm. But each year they took photos of the same tree and some would die and some would last and eventually one big oak tree. Um, was still there and it just told the story of a family not knowing why they were taking photos of this oak tree but it was just what we do it's just what we did um, so it's just deep stories of, of humanity in their journey and then the deep story of trees and just how we're intertwined with that so yeah it was a really good book it's very cool how are you connecting with nature just now yeah i think that's something that is growing in me i mean if i look at when i was a child i was very connected to nature um, as you get older I think I was taken into the realm of work and, and these things and separated myself from, from that. But if I look at my exercise when I um, was running more full on, I wasn't really a road runner or running down the beach. I was always a trail runner in the bush and in that space felt centered, um, in that space felt happy. And I think this year is a definite pathway for me to do more hiking, more connection into the bush. Um, yeah. Because I think, I think especially as a, a Westerner, um, you know, I've forgotten my land. I've forgotten my connection to Earth. I'm almost have amnesia around that. Mm. But at some point, with my my line, with my history, I'm actually connected more deeply through my pagan belief systems and my connection. You know, if my lineage is Irish, then at some point in time in that land, I'm that land meant something very deep to You're me. You were dancing naked around a tree. M more than likely. Stage. More than likely. Um, and so if you think about that, where I've come from to where I am now and colonialism, how we've transferred into very economic focus, um, you become apart from that sense of yourself. 
and maybe it's a rediscovery of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like a noise in between, isn't there? Sort of disconnecting, yeah. you, which you need to kind of break through and, and switch off or turn down or however however you do it. Yeah. Mark? I think it comes, kind of comes back a little bit to, you know, when you're a child, you're in that playful, innocent state. I think the play and nature kind of come in hand in hand, aren't they? Yeah, if you think what nature is, it's nature, it's like, it's chaotic. It's mm. like, and what is play? It's 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 trying to create something from chaos. It's turning chaos into order, which mm. is you know, if you're out in nature, you're kind of discovering. Mm. Uh, I can do this with my body. I can climb the trees. I can do this and do that. You know, me, yeah, myself yeah. and Michael have been for a walk. Maybe what in the springtime, six months ago, September, September, sort of time, September time, yeah. and out in like, the hills. Yeah, up in uh, Avon Valley, and just the. The, the art of just going out for that walk and using your intuition and just trying to find a spot and just going mm. directly towards it and having to work your way down the you know, some safe uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> parts that are a bit, a bit challenging. Yeah. It's on that verge of maybe going, okay, this is a bit frightful. We'd really, should we be going this way? You know, there's a, there's a chance there's a snake around the corner or, or whatever. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's exciting at the same time and it's a little bit chaotic and it's kind of playful. Yeah. And I think that's what nature kind of gives you and it's what, is missed in buildings and offices because yeah, it's all engineered and yeah, it is, yeah. is what it is there's a door there's a hallway there's no as you said unknown around the corner you kind mm. of know what everything is me and um uh, Delphine went for a little walk up uh i think it's wungong regional park about an hour about an hour away and there was yeah, coming through the valley and there was a rock right at the top and i was like i just want to get to that point there <laughs> And I just looked at her and she was like, yep, I'm keen. So we, went, we walked all the way up through it. We went, we managed to get up. It was a real steep hill to get up there. And you know, she was a bit concerned, how are we going to get back down when it's dark and stuff like that? But sat, we <laughs> been sat, there, done that. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> told the story, told the story. We, yeah, we had, we couldn't find our bags. This when we, Michael, we got caught in the dark. We couldn't find our bags. And we're like, uh-oh, we've only got this little torch and it was starting to go. We're like in pitch black. Uh-oh. Fear sets in. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, we were sat at the top. We watched the sun set down. We had a bit of food up there, and then all, all of a sudden, it was um, it was pitch black. And then we put our headlamps on, turned around, and there was just all these like little shiny things on the floor. I was like, "What the hell are these?" I was like, "They look like like a diamonds or something." I walked over to them, and they're just huntsman spiders. And <laughs> every no word, no word of a lie, every three meters oh, there was man. just a diamond, like it was just like a sparkle. And I was like, "Oh, there's another huntsman. There's another huntsman." And I just couldn't believe how many there were. But it was just like again. You just like discovery out in nature is just like okay right okay this is just a i wouldn't say it was a challenge but it was mm. something that was like, exciting you just turned yeah, into yeah. a hobbit and started like, <laughs> slashing at <laughs> going through because yeah. <laughs> i was just up i was up in bruma over the weekend and up there nature kind of hits you with the atmosphere <laughs> like when you get out of the plane mm. but because it's wet season up there's just now everything is like super lush and alive like insects lizards like birds like it's just that's nature you know like happening like right in front of you it's absolutely amazing down here i think in the city you do get do tend to get a little bit um what's the what would the word be a little bit sort of numb to mm. to nature but i like get the dogs out we've been for a walk up in the the forest and stuff like that and yeah. that's a, a, a habit every day for me and it's been absolutely awesome i think this this the kind of the um the silence and the lack of distraction as well is also a big thing. Obviously, when you're working, you're out in offices and you're, um, you've constantly got something going on. Mm. You, you're distracted by an external means and you don't get to reflect internally. Whereas I think when you're out in nature, even though you, you've got the birds chirping, you know, mm. you've got the, the wind you know, blowing, you've got you might hear a bit of a, a, a hoot somewhere or something like that. It's, it's, when you hear that, it's almost like refreshing to come from 
it back out from the inside back to, yeah. to the external and i think silence is a huge teacher that we in western society western cultures really don't pay attention enough to you know, if you sit there in silence mm. ask yourself a question yeah, asking you receive is 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 a statement that's been told for thousands of years and yeah. it's lost now. But if you actually really ask a question to yourself that's meaningful and has emotion in and silence s- in and sit there in silence, some answers, yeah. Something's gonna come up. Yeah. Something's gonna come up. The ego has to kind of bring something to surface somehow. I think people find it hard though sitting in silence because mm. the the chatter and mm. in, in the head and yeah, it's, it's hard breaking away from that. It's sort of, it's easier to not have the silence. It's easier to have the, the stuff around you where you, you don't need to hear that chatter, chatter all the time. But um, there's a, I think there's, is in Europe somewhere, there's a room which is the most silent in the world. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but it's a fully acoustically built room and you sit like above the ground in something. And it's, people can only last 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Really? Because it get, it's so silent and so perfectly balanced um that you can start you hear your blood your your heart um just your body moving and people can't take it literally i think the record is something like 20 25 minutes or something like that that's the it's, you know one of the biggest um causes of anxiety is people feeling and hearing their own heartbeat and their mm. breath like wow. all of a sudden becoming aware of their internal state because it's because they got so stressed and they they've disconnected from their body they've come into their mind so much that they forget that the you know, the heart and the lungs are, are meant to be controlling t- and meant to be sending, the, they are sending the signals to the mind to say mm. whether we're safe, whether we're not. You know, if we're slow breathing and we're constantly looking in different places, like um, we're, we're safe mm. you know, and the, the mind's safe. But all of a sudden you go into a silent room and you go, oh, my heart is beating. Like you actually feel it for the first time. In, like, how, how often, when was the last time yourself, Luke, you sat there and tried to actually feel your heartbeat? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've just finished some study around the somatic elements of of we are of who we are, and it's not something I've ever engaged with. Um, very logical, um, and then secondary emotional, but not understanding that we embody shapes as a reference point of our story. And so I'm becoming more and more aware of my body, um, more and more aware of, of morning routines that help you engage with your body. So I'm I'm starting to do that more and more. Um, and then meditation, mm. um, meditate each morning, um, helps you to focus in on your breathing. So you become very aware of your breath, very aware of the rise and the fall. Um, so I'd, I'd say I'm branching into that space mm. and, and really enjoying it. Um, it's something when you're not aware of the body, um, it can be annoying. You know, the moment you go to a group thing and everyone says, stand up, stretch, let's do some movements. Some people are like, what's the point of this? Like, really? Let's just get on with the course. I'm not really sure why we're <laughs> wasting our time in this. Um, now I'm realizing how powerful it actually is. Oh, how powerful changing it is. your whole physiology, your well, whole you can, you can shift your mood. Yeah, yeah. You can shift your mood, your thinking by shifting the body. Mm, yep. And that if we talked about, you know, anxiousness, it's, it's how anxiousness has an effect on the body and not just in the gut or the chest and in our breathing but how we collapse like you can clearly see that in in people and in yourself how what's going on with me well why am i why am i slumping why is what's going on for me right now in this meeting where i'm not feeling it's going the direction that i want it to go in i'm kind of collapsing in on myself okay all right then you start asking yourself questions and the quickest way is well, let's shift this sit up straight mm. open my chest 
breathe deep, get my posture right. Oh, okay, now I'm feeling a little bit more positive about this space, changes my breathing, changes my thinking. And so, you know, having looked at that and gone, mm, it's a bit weird, when you embrace it fully, you realize, no, this is significant. You know, this is really, really significant. So, yeah. That's good of Probably you. Probably more and more to answer your question, yeah. yeah. Are you meditating just now, Martin? I'm actually doing um, more of like a... Yeah, it is a meditative state. It's, have you heard of yoga nidra? I have heard of it, but I don't know much. So about it. it's um, again, it's a way where you can completely uh, relax your body whilst keeping your your mind occupied, and it's uh, it's like a progressive muscle relaxation technique. And you'll say you'll start with just breathing, taking slowing your breathing down, taking a few mm. big breaths, and then you'll um, uh, you'll 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 be guided through. You know, 60 odd points in your body from starting with your chest into your neck into your shoulder and you just have to when you breathe out you just have to put all your focus into that one area of the body and eventually by the end of it you've you know, you've done 30 minutes of just breathing just focusing on all the different points of your body you feel like your body's just glued to the to the <laughs> ground yeah. but because you're putting so much focus into a specific 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 area you're actually training your your ability to pay attention yeah right Definitely. Yeah. That's the best form of um, meditation. I did the, I think the Calm app and they have mm. one of the body, body, body scans, yeah. body scan one. And that by far is the one that at the end of it, your body does feel kind of, it's alive. It's sort of, you've focused on it because it is hard to focus like on your knees. Like how do you focus on your knees? Like, like trying to think about your knee, but it's, it's a whole body feeling. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of research coming out of Stanford university at the moment. It's looking into these things like hypnosis and yoga nidra for, for anxiety. Mm. Um, and there's a, a lot of good uh, evidence to suggest that by doing these sort of things is that we can, we can reduce anxiety. We can reduce stress. We can also increase our ability to pay attention. We can mm. increase our, um, you know, our focus and ability to learn and reduce symptoms of ADHD and you know, depression from doing these simple things. But also it's now called something called non-sleep deep rest mm. and doing 20, 30 minutes of, of a yoga nidra um, meditation is equivalent to a, a 90 minute cycle of sleep. Mm. So if you've got someone who struggles to get their five hours in, but they can go and take a 20, 30 minute break to go and do yoga nidra meditation, you're then psychologically or uh, you know, psychologically refreshing them. So you can go then or go away. For example, you've, you've spent two hours at a desk trying to work away. You're feeling fatigued. Go away and do 20 minutes of yoga nidra. Mm. Come back. You'll feel refreshed again. Mm. It's great, honestly. Yeah. yeah, it's good practice. I haven't been, I had probably a solid two or three years of pretty well, sort of well-routined meditation. But probably the last, probably since even COVID and at the sorry, at the beginning of last year, just have stopped. The habits gone. Mm. Keeping all my other habits, the fitness stuff, cold showers, all these sort of bits and pieces. Meditation, which was a real like stalwart in my routine, has has definitely stopped. And I'm sort of now using it as a bit of an experiment to see mentally how I how mindful I can be yep. um, in the car or speaking with Joanne or interacting with people, uh, working as well. And it, I think it definitely has a negative effect not obviously not meditating mm. um 
but I thought I'd keep not meditating just to see how how the mind goes. Yeah, um, how bad it gets. Yeah. Exactly, it's how deep, I can, <laughs> yeah. how dark it can. Go. Yeah, going into chaos. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I end up in jail after merging sixty people, <laughs> oh no, I should probably get back to it. Let's get back to look we'll at that. We took it too far this time. Uh, let's hope this doesn't happen. Let's hope this doesn't happen. We should have a quick intermission or an advert break about the whiskey <laughs> because we have had a glass of whiskey sitting in front of us since. Um, 27 minutes ago um, and it is the Glen Livet 12 year old uh, single malt which I bought today it's not from the Whiskey Club which myself and Luke are proud members on I'm obviously going to try and get Martin to join the Whiskey Club Um, so anybody had a taste yet? Yeah it's it's really nice you've been talking we've been drinking so yeah hey no 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 I've, um, I think it's 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 quite light. Hmm. It's, it's it not, is. It doesn't it's, have uh, um, like a, a. It's not the heavy peaty. No, nah, it's not peaty at all. It's uh, it's really smooth flowing. I think you'd have toffee to be, even could be toffee. You'd have to be <laughs> you'd have to be careful. Start sounding like a wanker. <laughs> could be toffee. Pretty yeah. safe if you say hmm. vanilla. Vanilla. <laughs> it does say vanilla yeah. on the back. It's pretty safe. <laughs> <laughs> Just everything. Any any wine tasting, anything vanilla. Yeah. Berry taste. Although berry is definitely not a whiskey thing. I don't think you ever get a whiskey with. Oh, oh no, you can. You probably you do. Can you can kind of, you can kind <laughs> yeah. of smell a toffee, caramel, yeah, yeah. berry. Yeah. <laughs> some, some fruit cakey. Yeah. Fruit, fruit cakey is a good one. The Christmas pud sort of yeah. scenario. Yeah. We got a um, port, a Christmas port. Is it one of the wineries in the Swan Valley? Oh, it's beautiful. It is yeah. literally like smelling or tasting Christmas pudding. Like mm. beautiful. I'm not a fan nope. of Christmas pudding. Oh. <laughs> so you probably okay. just had a little bit of cream to it as well. So the ad, the ad didn't get him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not that one, not that one. But the the toffee toffee whiskey yeah. is, is good. Enjoying is good. that, definitely. So this is just a sort of off the cuff conversation we're having, obviously, based on us being friends yeah. and sort of mm-hmm. obviously, it's um always the conversations I've had with you guys out for beer or out for coffee or in brekkies in mornings or long walks or trying to fight through bushland. Um, they've always been quite or what I think is deep for, um, or at least um, sort of deep connected conversations about mm. your life in general, what's happening at home, you know, what's happening in life in, uh, around everything really, which has been good. So I thought the would be a nice synergy, I think, to at least attempt to, chat together because we've spoken about trying to do something Mm. on a podcast for ages and ages and as i said before we've done a couple of bits and pieces so it's um yeah gonna gonna and that was a really nice opening sort of way to chat you know that's what i wanted i think and i think you know podcasts that you try and be too um uh, what's what's the word too rigid rigid in um don't work because you're thinking about what it is you're meant to be talking about and not going to what you feel like talking about. Mm. Um, so we did have, um, we asked last week, put the questions around about, you know, what what could we talk about? Um, and what was the, you, you did say an interest, you had an interesting sentence that you messaged through, which sort of struck a chord and was in my head for the for the end of the week and quite apt in the, in the current state of global affairs and <laughs> what's happening around the world. Can you explain a little bit about what you, um, what you talked about in the message? Put me on the spot there to remember what I spoke about a week ago. Uh, <laughs> I think I think it was around you know we we just come here in Western Australia, come out of um, a bit of a lockdown, and we were wearing our masks for an extended week. And it was at the point that we were letting go of our masks. I think we were chatting, and I said, "Well, it's about 
we're physically taking off this mask, but what masks stay with us? What masks do we still wear? Because it's easy to see a visual one that we could all see. It's not so easy to see the ones that we wear all the time. Um, and, and I think it's, I think as if we reflect on ourselves, we do. We mm. do wear masks. Um, and so it was just to throw that out there to go, well, might be interesting for us to talk about that, talk about our thoughts on that, what drives people to wear masks, what are they protecting when we wear masks, how much of it's conforming to social dynamic or cultural dynamics that we wear um, because we're taught and socialised as we grow up to to live within acceptable and, you know, some conformity there. Um, and, yeah, so I think, I think that would be, for us as we're throwing out there, it might be good to chat through that just to just to be open even in ourselves about some of that stuff for us um, and then see where it heads, see where it takes us. Now, I definitely think um, for me, when I first moved over to Australia five years ago, um, I only knew one person here. So going out and meeting people, you kind of, you put a mask on. Mm. Yeah, it's when you're most vulnerable. And I think we put masks on because we're trying to hide, obviously, parts of ourselves, mainly the parts of ourselves that we feel embarrassed about or mm. uh, that might not be accepted. But I, what really impacted me to lose a bit, I guess, my authenticity was the crowd that you're in. So they say power, proximity is power. And I was um, at a point in my life where I felt like I was reasonably successful finished, graduated, uh, accredited uh, sleep and respiratory scientist, come over to Perth and got a job with a private company. But I had no kind of further vision of where I wanted to go. I hadn't created that yet. And I wanted to just enjoy my first year here and just not really have to worry about anything. So I spent a lot of time going out, partying, drinking, mm. um, and finding myself in bars and getting involved with different women and all that sort of thing. But what I found is that the mask that I put on, and I can remember there was one point in... Um, when I was out with a group of friends and there was a running joke to not get caught with me when you're drunk because you're getting stuck with a deep conversation. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, for me, that was like, that's always who I've been. I like to get mm. to know people. You know, look, look at us now. We're having these conversations. I've been like that since I was 14, 15 years old, just you know, high intellect, open to experience, just very open individual. But that hit me that night when someone said it and I was like, it's a bad thing to do that. Mm. And then because the group I was with were very superficial, I became very superficial. And that meant that I actually lost who I was. But mm. that resulted in anxiety, depression, and physical sickness. So I think there, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a role that personas play, mm. specific, specifically in workplaces, for example, you have to. I went to see one of my friends, friends today who's a dentist. I'm not going to walk up to him, shake his hand, go, all right, mate, how you go, put, put his arm around him. He's you know, very professional and puts, yeah. that, puts that persona on. But I think when people get stuck in that persona and are then validated by that persona mm. and then it becomes the self. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that the validation is the big part is the people mm. around you, either controlling you to, to mm. stop wear, you wearing that mask mm. and, and come down to our level of mask or whatever it is. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's a threatening behaviour from them, and it's sort of they want to stop you doing that sort of that, that the teasing, I suppose, then becomes you know, mm. we're subtly trying to tell you that, that mask has got to come off, or else you're not going to be kind of part of this group just now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then once you take it off, is that back in, and you're sort of yeah. back into that whatever level of mask they were wearing at that time as well. Yeah, mm. I mean, what I realise now is that was a projection from that individual of because they, oh, of course. You know, 
they weren't able to be like that. So they were like, okay, well, that's something that scares me. Threat so I'm, threatening. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's threatening yeah. to me that you can have these conversations with me when we're drunk. Actually, I don't want to reveal mm. who I am and be, be that individual. So I'm just going to tell you and put you down to shoot you up so I don't feel bad. But at the time, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't wise enough. I didn't have, I didn't have the knowledge in psychology mm. that I do now. You know, I've read extensively in psychology over the last four or five years. But um, I think the biggest issue that we have with personas now is social media. Mm. I think um, specifically for uh, young girls who are very attractive young girls and they are constantly being validated just for images they put on social media and how is that shaping their psychology? Mm. You know, someone, if all of a sudden they show a part of themselves that only gets like 10 likes but then they get another part where it's got 100, 200, 3,000 likes, that validation, what are they going to do with the 10 likes? It's just going to get suppressed and okay, that's, that, I'm not worthy of showing that part of myself, but what about if that part of himself is a big part of who they are? Mm. Where's that going to lead people? Yeah, ten years. Yeah, yeah. I felt what you said before was really interesting. That when you wore a mask, and if I heard you correctly, lived apart from yourself, so in opposition to who mm. you naturally are, mm. that it led to sickness, depression, and I find that really interesting. Like if you if you make that step, and so it ties into what you're saying there is that's not naturally who you are. What, what's the compounding issues for you? How, what, what's the ramifications on you to not be you? Mm. And then you go, well, what is the power of being you? What is the purpose of being you? And what brings that about that you're here on this earth to be that? And then, you know, talking, that's so that word out there, that soul element, that connection to soul, if you're now working against that, yeah, there is a there is a something that there's a cost to that. Yeah, and it's not saying that that thing over there that uh, you should be going towards is just a single mask. There's still multiple masks even mm. in that persona over there. Um, but they're the masks that you connect with and are are connected to who you are rather mm. than connected to who somebody thinks you are or whatever. And masks are always going to be there. Like we'd be sort of obviously lying to ourselves if we multiple times a day don't have a different mask on it at certain stages. Mm. Um, and it's a thinking about it when when you said it last week. Look, it's sort of trying to work out every day what mask am I wearing at, at whatever, and how many masks do I have? And I think the answer is infinite. The answer mm. is every second is a different mask. Every because every experience you have changes your perception, and so the mask is always morphing. But there's always the the easy to to fall back on masks, which is the anger mm. or the resentment or whatever the, the the feeling is, which is a bit easier to sit in. Um, these are the ones you've got to fight against. Yeah, yeah, um, and you have to reflect on that sort of stuff. Like, going back to what you said, Luke, is um, really interesting because what actually happened to me is I ended up getting like really severe psoriasis. Right. Okay, now what I learned is psoriasis is your skin growing pretty much like 10 times as fast as it should be and not being able to shed as fast as it can be. Yeah, right. There's no mask to cover that, Mark. There's no mask to cover it. But what's actually happening is almost like my body was telling me that I'm trying to grow into something I'm not. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, oh, well, well. morphing. Yeah. That's, that's quite yeah. scary. It's like my skin was changing. It was trying to become something else. It was trying to grow into something else. And it's like actually... Oh, shedding. Shedding. Mm. It's like, it, to me, when I reflected on it, it was like, okay, I'd gone so far from my spirit so far from who I truly was that you know psychologically it was damaging not but then physically physically it became damaging and mm. the fact that it was my skin trying to change my appearance mm. to become someone else because I was becoming someone else was like okay is that just a coincidence mm. or so what we were talking about before is sometimes if you're not you've got a cognitive blindness 
mm. and your your emotions. You're not emotionally aware. It's funny how it was showing up in your body. Yeah. You know, so somatically I mean, something here, was, here, yeah, here, yeah, something's wrong. Something's wrong and it's showing up in our body. And I think we're trained in the West. It's logic, 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 and suppress everything else that stops us accomplishing what we need to accomplish. So we may find that body-wise we push our body. We run, we gym, like it becomes a tool with which we conquer, but it's not always a connection to the body in what's going on, mm. what's happening for mm. me, what's showing up here. Mm. Why is it that under stress the same pain point comes? You know, um, thinking of some people I know, every time there's a high stress level, it shows up in the neck. Yeah. You know, so so we don't stop to ask the question or be aware of okay, what's going on there? And sometimes I suppose more older cultures they're very aware of that. Um, in a Western where it's very controlled medical, I mean we're, we're changing. We're starting to become more open to to Eastern concepts and and that's been a positive thing i think but that that wrestle of what does essential oils do what does aromatherapy do we know that does nothing look (laughs) none of that stuff's Um, skeptic coming you're right because if you you know look at the eastern cultures and the the things like yoga and your martial arts is it was more teaching you about becoming bodily aware Mm. right it was becoming because the body is telling us constantly through through the nervous system back to our brain which is interpreted into our thoughts which is actually creating mm. the thoughts and the reality that we live in it's changing our perception based on the state that our body's in now you might have a uh, an issue with your with your neck that's really sore consistently all the time but there is um there's some therapies now where you can lay there and you can put all your focus onto that pain mm. and if you can stay with that pain long enough an emotion will come up and a thought will come up mm. and then you can process that thought and it's a way of actually getting over that yeah and getting through that and yeah. it's uh, you know it's been it's been in holistic psychology that they, they do these sort of things but it, it's it is true but um you said something earlier that I wanted to touch on i can't remember what it was now you were talking about um don't ask me my, my that's gone yeah that's, yeah yeah <laughs> that's yeah. halfway up charles street now because we're, going, we're talking about the masks um we won't go into that. I was hoping I was hoping to have it now, but no. It'll come to you. It'll come back. You're right. In a lucid dream tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I think with masks and with logic, nature, chaos or logic, you know, these things, it's the balance. Hmm. Some people go too far one way, some people go too far the other. So I think it's important that, that you don't lose your logic mask, that the logic mask stays as, as quite an important part hmm. of, of who you are. Hmm. But it has half of it is wood <laughs> well, there's mm. a, another part of the mask that you that you sort of grow into and discover the natural side as well yeah. um and i'm not anti i do apologize for dissing <laughs> aromatherapy and stuff like that but i understand nature very well like uh, i've got a really deep connection with it um and i think my balance of logic and nature and sort of um skepticism and sort of wonder or magic or whatever mm-hmm. it is on this side is there, and I probably need to be a bit more open to the magic side, because mm-hmm. I'm very like, you know, very um, hardwired to sort of push that aside, even though I know and have been been there in regards mm-hmm. to wonder, wonder and nature and mm. co- connection to nature. And it's just the the play between them is really interesting. I think that's the that's the yin yang sort of scenario. The the, is it is it more comfortable for you to to understand the logic, the science, than and and than it is to be able to uh, okay accept that there could be something that's unknown that you can't put a label on, 
and therefore it has created this mask over yeah, here. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but I think it's actually, I think they're really strongly intertwined. I think the logic, the science side of it c connects directly into wonder and nature mm. and wanting to go deeper and find out and be admit when I'm wrong about something as well and just sort of move forward and say, okay, this has been proven, that's, that's wrong. But look at that, just look at this amazing thing in nature and sort of really take the wonder out of that. Mm. Um, so I think the balance balance is definitely there, but yeah, I probably, but I've been through sort of the that, that side of it as well. So I've been yeah. through the journey of sort of going through that, that yeah. part of it. And I think I've sort of reached or sort of balanced into what I am now which will change again at some stage. But um, mm. I think I've got a nice balance between the two. But yeah, you, you could be right in regards to, I don't know if it's threatening the, the sort of magical side because I have connected to that. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, I'll see. It's almost like, because science is very objective, right? It's, it's, it's always about external. It's about finding deeper into what's going on external, but it's not necessarily looking at the perception that you have of the external. Uh, yeah. So yep. whereas the kind of the, the magic, for me, where the magic comes in is, is being able to shift that internal narrative that you have, which then shifts the actual external perception that you have of the world in general. Mm, yep. Start to yep. when you start to accept uh, different, I guess, uh, uh, frames into, into your life, is it actually physically changes things? Yep. Things get brighter. All of a sudden, you, work, you 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 see more blues, you see more reds. You might be more, more aware of this because you've shifted something inside. You've shifted a narrative or a story that you live in, mm. created by a persona. You can then change it. And what you touched on earlier about you. Are viewing your personas at the moment and seeing which ones come up is what I found for me was a very good practice was writing my personas down then writing down what I am trying to suppress by creating this persona okay so you and think there is always a suppression because yeah if you go in front persona? of because you know that's actually a really interesting point persona the word persona in Latin means mask yeah, uh, that's exactly the, the meaning of it the definition of personality is comes from mask and actor back mm. in sort of Greek, Greek days. Well, so. if you're gonna go off Jungian psychology, which obviously per the word persona is, is, is touching back to, to him, well, the, the persona was a, a polarity of the shadow or the polarity mm. of the personal unconscious, which was created by you know, a psychological tension. So you're trying to suppress these things into, into the shadow. I don't like this about myself, which then the nature of psychological polarity creates an opposite. Mm -hmm. So if you're going from that, you can actually look at the persona itself, you can look at what you're creating and okay well if I look at the inverse of what that is so say you're trying to put on uh, at, at work or you know, in, in front of a partner you're trying to act a certain way for me I was always a very nice guy it's like okay well if I'm a nice guy to a person then that means that I'll receive love back but if I write down I'm always a nice guy well what's it mean if you, what, what does a bad guy look like mm. and is there anything in that bad guy trait that actually can be a positive for me yeah when was the last time you visited the bad guy um, and what was it? What well, was the... I, I guess I guess when it comes to uh, arguments or um, with with in, in in past relationships, if there's stuff that I've wanted to say where I, I I've kind of just okay mm. to keep the peace to um, to make sure that the, I'm not pressuring the person to. So there's emotional issues with the other individual to be nice and not put tension on that other individual. I would keep my mouth closed. But what, what's the result of that? Is that behavior in that individual continues, but then that resentment builds in me. 
because all I'm doing is suppressing something. It goes back to that, you're putting it back in down inside, mm. but you can't, you can't hold that. It's not the way to communicate. So, um, my like a girl that I'm seeing just last weekend, there was a few things at the weekend where she said where I felt she judged me. And I said to, no, we, I, I, we spoke about it. And that I could have not spoken about it, but I felt if I didn't bring it up, then I'm not being authentic with who I am and I'm not being authentic in the communication. And I don't think that's necessarily the right way to have those conversations. I think you have to have that tension between an individual to both grow and say, hey, mm. look, I don't think that you are quite right in what you are saying, but I'm not quite right either. Or well, let's come to a compromise. Yeah. And well, it's kind of like a tension shared, isn't it? Yeah. Instead of you keeping the tension inside yeah. and not saying something and, and it's bottling up in you that you're kind of passing some energy on to the other person, which in turn helps them as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And that's the, you, you, what, what, what causes growth, right? It's, it's that tension that causes growth. If you don't, then neither one of you are growing. Mm. And the other person won't know. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. We, <laughs> yeah. are, we, we have yeah. uncommunicated expectations. Of course. And then we measure people by those uncommunicated expectations. But most of the time they don't know that you haven't got a problem because you haven't vocalized mm. that. Yeah. So they'll just carry on. And yeah. I think most human beings, once it's brought to light, they'll be, oh, no, that wasn't what I meant. So conversations for clarity, I meant this. Or, oh, actually, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that would cause that for you. Um, I, I think it's fairly rare that most people go, well, just get over yourself. Like, <laughs> of course, we, we've had those experiences. But on the whole, I think most people will be, oh, no, that's not what I meant. Um, so I think, I think we need to share share what's going on for us. Yeah, I, I think raising Jungian is a really, really important element. Um, in my doing some Jungian counseling was a concept of the communication of your own, with your own community of self. Mm. And you talking about, you know, the shadow self is, is I remember doing some stuff around talking to hate. And um, this is leading, stay with me, this is leading somewhere. <laughs> um, it was a very interesting conversation, what hate looked like in me um bearded messy dirty yucky and this is a podcast he looks exactly like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but quite quite big quite quite strong and at the same time um because i was coached that way to say okay you know does anyone else want to come to the table and a person came to the table and their their concept was i've got it all together and i've got a real problem with hate so there was that performance element mm -hmm. i'm good looking i'm this and and he bursts forth into my present and embarrasses me and in reaching out to hate, what having a conversation was, do you think I want to be like this? Do you think I want to be looking like this and doing this, but I've kept you safe? I've looked after you. Mm. And it leads to that concept of so often in our modern text, and it's just a thought, and, and I'm not saying that this is correct, is that the ego is starting to get a bad name. The ego self. Mm. Oh, that's your ego. The ego that's, is the enemy. Yeah, leave your <laughs> ego at the door. And it got me thinking, but what if the ego protects you? What if the ego is is protecting you for the stories that run for you? Like if I'm sitting here going, I need protection, then my ego is going to show up. The moment you hit a nerve in me, then perhaps that forceful self bursts forth where I straighten my back and I step yeah, yeah, up yeah. and I come at you. Oh, that's his ego. Yeah, but I'm protecting something going on for me right now. But there's no hero without the ego. Yeah. There can't be. Because no. it, it takes something to, 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 to challenge, to, to move through. Mm. 
It's the there's control. No con- there's the no control consciousness without the ego. There is no you. Yeah, there is no you. No, you don't exist. The ego has its serves purpose. It does. And tonight yeah. we are going to help the ego. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to fight against this anti-ego sentiment that's uh, traveling around the world. But you're right. Like I mean, Ryan Holiday, ego is the enemy. And you know, you can read too much into just the title of the mm. book. But um, yeah. yeah, it is. People like you know, you're being egotistic, or you're it's. It's an interesting, it's a very, as you said, it's a protective part of you. It's, it's the part that's alert all the time looking around to, to, to help mm. you out when, when the shit hits the fans. So, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it comes back to, to the awareness and coming back to tr- the true self of um, who you want to be. Okay. So if, for example, I've started online breathwork sessions back at home. Uh, for people in stuck in in COVID uh, lockdowns, I was like, oh, right, great. okay, is there any way that I can help individuals who are locked down that I can just get them through the anxious times? And I was like, okay, well, I know how to teach uh, you know, some relaxing, calming breath work and take them through some meditations. And I was like, okay, I'm going to reach out to people on Facebook. And I wrote this big post and I got all the way to the bottom. And then all of a sudden, as I was about to press post, my ego pops up and mm. says, why are you doing this, Martin? You don't know how to teach breath work. You're not going to be able to do it online. Yeah. No one's, no one's going to be bothered about this. Why is that the point? But the awareness in me mm. and the, the fact that I was doing it based on love and to try and help and serve people, I separated myself from that ego and said, it's not about me. Mm. It's not about you, Martin. It's not about whether you're embarrassed, whether no one shows up, whether everyone turns up, whether no one looks at it. It's about putting yourself out there to do it because it's about it's it's, it's something bigger than you it's their support mm, of other individuals mm. and but there was a moment where i could have let the ego and but the ego was trying to protect me from mm. being embarrassed or yeah 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 or because there was there's, there's, there was people popped up popped up in my mind physically some close friends back at home in england who i would have thought would have been like what's breath work come on that's a bit gay that's a bit you know it's a bit kind of feminine that sort of that and that kind of really put me off but those people responded to the to the, to yeah. the best. They're the ones mm. that wanted to get involved in it because they're the ones that are suffering the most over it. Interesting how, how we create realities of what could happen out of anxiousness that turn out not to be that way. Yeah. And if you're in that mood of wonder of possibility, wow, look what happens. Um, Jung also would talk about it's not about um, killing the shadow self. No. It's, it's moving to embrace it, reframe it, and understand ourselves. And so... That while the, there is negative elements of our ego, it's through understanding what's going on for us that we're able to be a harmonious self. You can't go to war with yourself. In, in if you commit civil war on yourself and endeavor to smash those dark elements, you're actually hurting you. Um, so it's not that we want to seek to become so transcended that we have no challenge points and no negative elements. It's actually going, no, that's actually what makes you you. Both those things intertwined. I mean, you mentioned yin and yang. It's it's how they are intertwined that that I think we can become more enlightened in that, yep. rather than seeking to kill off an element that that we don't like. Well, even sense. what Martin was saying about sort of stopping the ego from saying like you know delete the delete the post. Mm. Mm. Once you'd done it and you started the courses, your ego was getting fed anyway because of that. So there was still an upside for the ego even in even in 
yeah, quashing yeah, yeah. it at yeah. that at that time because the ego still needs to be there to have the conf the, the confidence part is mm. an ego element. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that the ego still gets fed from that, but it's yeah, a control we, factor. It's I think we spend the you know the the first half of our life, and this comes back to Jung again. We spend the first half of our life uh, trying to inflate the ego. Trying to discover who we are, trying to discover where mm. we fit in society, what, where, you know, where is, where's our strengths, where's, where, how can we become, uh, you know, fit in this world and become a part of it. But then the, the latter half is when we, you know, when we go for that individual individuation process, is, is actually it's all about then dissolving the ego mm. and reintegrating the true self of who you want to be and all you know, the shadow side, the shadow self, the personal and conscious, bringing that back into you so you can be a whole individual. Mm. And yep. I think. The touching on what you you, you were saying, how you, know, you don't want to get rid of that shadows that shadow side because there is purpose of some of it. If we're going back to the story of the nice guy narrative that I lived for mm. years, it comes from a story of I was probably about six or seven years old, and my mom was a um, childbinder, so we have ch children all around the house all the time, and majority of the kids that my mom looked after were girls. But I was a uh, you know same age as maybe two of the girls were playing with a, with my action man and. One of the girls uh, took it off me, and then I snatched it like like fast off her, off her and grabbed it, and I was like, "No, that's my toy." And she ended up bursting out crying. And my mom came up to me and just slapped me on the back, like you know, just said, "What are you doing? You can't do that to girls. You know, you're stronger than girls. You can't. No, you shouldn't be rough with girls. You got to be nice." And that cemented mm. a narrative in my mind that I could never kind of be assertive with with women. So I got into these relationships where I could never actually speak up and say, "Well, mm. I, I couldn't speak my truth." Wait, because I was like, no, I've just got to be, just take it, just be quiet, just take it, be nice. Mm, and I've got my action man. Yeah, I've got my action <laughs> man. But when I started to look at that narrative and where it came from and rewrite the story, rewrite my own personal yeah. myth and you know, look at the, the shadow, it's actually, okay, is there any, is there anything in assertiveness or even in assertion from a male that actually is worthwhile? And yes, mm. females are attracted to it. They look at man. They want a masculine man. They want a man who's going to tell them what to say. They want a man to challenge them. They want a man who's going to be assertive out in the world because they're the people who are going to be keeping them safe. So I was like, okay, well, I have to integrate this back into my life again. And I read a book by Dr. Robert Glover called No More Mr. Nice Guy. And I literally wrote myself tasks to, to complete at the weekend, go out and purposely be rude to a woman. <laughs> And see what happens. So be asking like no TV meditation, yeah. <laughs> and 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 see what happens, like in a conversation, or not like just no. It had to be genuine. If someone, if if if, if someone said, if there's you a, had to be you, genuinely rude, like you had yeah, to no, not mean it. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, but if you someone's mean not, a, not nasty, yeah, not just, na yeah, not nasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, say if someone's having a conversation, and and for example, if a girl was bigging herself up and you know, got really egotistical, and you could just go, okay, well, well, actually, I don't believe anything you're saying. You thought it was a lie, just say it outright in front of everyone. See what the reaction is. Do you know what I found? Half the time, nothing. Mm. Because they just go quiet and that's it. It's like because it's just being assertive isn't a negative thing. It's no being bad or being nasty isn't nice, but being assertive, as long as you're being truthful, is a positive. Mm. No, definitely. You gotta speak up for your your own mor morality and mm. you know what you've what you've grown into. So yeah, I think speaking the truth is probably one of the hardest things for for humans. I think, um, 
and it is a it's a a muscle that you've got to kind of tend to and on like complete honesty. I mean, mm. what's the Jim Carrey movie? Is it Liar Liar? Where he yeah 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 has a spell yeah. put over him and he can't like he can't like I, I mean can you imagine lie. if that happened like during the day? How many times you would just walk past somebody and just say you like whatever whatever it is you say that you have in your mind? It's it's terrible. It's terrible. But um. Yeah, the ego. So are we saying the ego then is something that we must um, embrace, but control and understand, I suppose. The I biggest think understand, part is to understand. Yeah. Think, yeah. Yeah, underst- it's to, as you said, meet. Understand. Mm. Yeah. Se- separate yourself from it, being the observer of the ego, but also be aware that it has positives and negatives. Mm. I, think that's, uh, I think that's where you, you have to sit with, with, with the ego. And also when you do that, you start to be able to see the, the ego, how it's interacting with other in other individuals and then also how you project as well i think mm. it, it, there's so many dynamics that you can start to play around with when you <laughs> when you create the awareness in the space to yeah. to to not allow it to control you yeah because even in this podcast so like three of us sitting here but there's probably about nine of us really sitting here there's like what luke <laughs> thinks of martin what martin yeah, thinks yeah, of martin yeah, what yeah. i think yeah. you are and you think of me and i think of you and together you think of me or whatever like there's all these different personas around at any stage there's like this sort of connection between yeah everything at the same time so it's sort of we never really like we only ever have our thoughts mm-hmm. and that's like probably the well that's the human condition that is what philosophy has talked about for like 2000 years is what is this and you know how, how do you deal with it um and i think truth which is a platonic sort of um, stance is probably the, the the biggest one, I think, because that then there's nothing that breaks everything down. There's no noise in between at all, um, and I think that should be taught in <laughs> should be taught in kindergarten. Actually, kids are probably the most truthful, which is the most yeah. amazing thing. And yeah. I think, it, as you said, it gets kind of the innocence not bred out of you, but teached out of you. Like, don't say that. You're like like your mum. Like, don't don't do that. Even though you knew that was the because it was your it was. Your yeah, yeah, yeah. treasure it was yeah, your yeah. thing that, mm. that you'd found that was yours. Like yeah, somebody shouldn't yeah. take it away from you, mm. but you were told no, you can't. You can't defend what you're you're passionate about. Um, you must stop. So it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, Mum could have been operating at, operating out of a historical culture cultural narrative of herself, course. which then we take on as a set of standards. You know, and we live under those standards until we take the step to go. Where did that come from? Is that working for me? What if I ground that, you know, because we're opinion-making machines. We make assessments <laughs> of each other all the time and we make them of ourselves. And if we ground that and go, is there truth in this? You know, am I, if I'm, if I'm assertive, am I going to be violent? Am mm. I going to be aggressive? Have I, ha- have I been aggressive and violent before in my life? And if we start grounding that, we realise actually this is okay for me to be assertive. And you made a really powerful thing is, like you rewrote your own story, mm. you reformed that. And I think there's a power in that is when we begin to ask these questions, we realize that you're the author of your life and no one knows you better than you know yourself. So the power comes in listening to yourself and creating space to do it. And then you can architect what you want to do and, and where you want to go. Um, who do I want to be? It's a who do I want to be? And, and you can set about going and doing that and it comes from understanding what is the story that's running and what story do I want to live under. And, um, yeah, I found that really interesting how how you said that. I thought that's really powerful. Is, yeah, yeah. And it was something that I did um, maybe 18 months ago. Uh, I wanted to try and 
right parts of my life that I felt a victim of mm. as the hero's journey, mm. as how I'd come out the other side and what I'd learned about myself. But through writing and, and writing all these stories and coming at it from a different perspective, I wrote it how it was to begin with, how it made me feel. And then I wrote about the, the psychology behind it of what actually happened and then how I created it myself. So I actually looked at, reflected on my own behavior and mm. took responsibility for it. And what that then allowed me to change was completely change the narrative from victim to creator. Yeah. And then if you can change from victim to creator, then you're in the power. You've got the power back. You can then start to create from what you want, mm. from your vision, rather than from what's happening to you from the external. Yeah. It's an internal to external perspective mm -hmm. yeah. and what you were talking about before with the noise on social media and the meta stuff you were sort of seeing just a social media is probably the worst mm. one is that it that that stops that um that you being able to do that i think you completely can't. Can't. Um, i think if you always live in that world where you're being your behavior is created by the external people are creating for you yeah. You're not, there's no creation yourself yeah, yeah. you're you're getting fed the creation yeah um which isn't even really creation no. it's it's Percept, like your perception is that you're being entertained or there's a creative process here but you know you sit in silence and then stick some music on classical music or your favorite song that's when the creator really starts that's when you you know i think music plays like such an important role in my life and i know it does mm. in in yours and and yourself look but um i don't know things like that are the things that can break it away is just giving yourself some time and listening to something that is very creative yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah. and i suppose mozart maybe was the social media back in back <laughs> in the day you know that was just that other noise to listen to yeah 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 um mm. but i think there's something powerful in craft crafted music be it even a dj or, or anything or playing music yourself as well i think these little creative things are, are so important to to nurture in yourself um and i know i don't do it enough i play the guitar sort of every second night, you know, strum away and listen, I've listened to music a lot. Um, but I think I need to add a little, because the creation and what you said before, creation mm. is the key. Um, I I, creativity for me was like being from a science background and being, uh, living the narrative in the past that I was a scientist and that I was logical minded, I was good at maths and all stuff like that. Mm. I always told myself I wasn't creative. And then it wasn't until- Why are you wearing that white lab coat, by the way, Mark? <laughs> You've got to get out of that science, yeah. science head. And it, it, it wasn't until I started to learn how to DJ and I started to dabble a bit more into psychedelics that when the combination of these two things together that I started to learn that when you're being creative, you're, you're, you're forming different you know, neurons in the brain, you, you're creating different patterns in the mind, you, you're turning chaos into order, you, you're, 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 you're creating, it's like, it's, it's a muscle, it's, a, it's something you have to develop. Um, but when I started doing that, I started, it was at the same time where I started to come up with my ideas for my business and I started to come up with ideas for work uh, vision. It was like, it was almost like it was a switch that just changed that whether it was the, the narrative that I'd stopped living or whether it was the muscle that I turned on or whether mm. the part of the brain that I turned on had become brain. more right, right side, right brain than rather than left, left brain. But now I think that everyone should have a creative outlet within their life, whether that be dance, music, writing, whatever. I, I think genuinely creativity for me is a solid value that is, should be a part of everyone's lives. 
Yeah, I think it's so powerful. Mm. Are you doing anything from a creative perspective? I know you write, you journal, don't you? you yeah, yeah, I journal all the time. I, I mean, I, I drum for a majority of my life, so I did a lot of, a lot of music. Um, I think creativity for me is when I'm in tune, it flows and it's an energy thing. I think where I am at work at the moment and, and the transition that's about to, to come for me is around the fact that when it's apart from who I am and what my soul is, creativity dissipates. Um, and it comes in that space where you move, for me at least, when I'm moving into that new frontier that connects to my purpose, it flows really, flows really well. Um, so I think at this point in time that that's coming for me. I've been studying for the last two years and working my job. So the creativity at the moment is coming in, the coaching, coming in, the connection with people, coming in, starting to look at what does that look like in coaching for me? What what kind of what kind of business and connection do I I want to um, want to see? So those those ideas are starting to flow now, um, and that's connected to where I want to be in the transition that I'm about to engage with. So. Um, but I haven't drummed for a long time. I do write, I do read, and I do imagine. I sit there and think quite a lot. Um, but that doesn't transcend into physical things at, at this point in time. But I realise more and more that there's there's a growth that comes with that. Even if you are dreaming, daydreaming, there's a lot of a lot of growth that comes in your own mind as you even think philosophy, yeah. ask those bigger questions than you've you've ever asked before, and that's that's a good thing to do. So, yeah. yeah, and that's using that different part of the brain, you know. Um, yeah, interesting question I'm going to ask. Do you think there's a, uh, a, a downside to creativity? I mean, I've got my own answer, but I want to hear from you guys. <laughs> so that's a loaded question. <laughs> well, I suppose uh, it was interesting what you said before. You said uh, creativity, creativity is turning the chaos into order. Mm. Well, I don't think it is. I think creativity is, is the chaos and, and getting something from that. It's not order. Maybe, or maybe it's a definition of order. It's unknown, something different. Unknown to known. Yeah, yeah. So I think creativity has to have a chaotic element still there. It can't be completely sorted out. Um, yeah, once you finish the project then, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But even then, like there's chaos in architecture, there's chaos in paintings and music. Mm. And that's not, that's not finished. That's not disappeared. It's, it's there all the time. Yeah. I think that's why music and art is so profound because it gives that I guess transcendent experience of not being able to have a finished product because the chaos is always there yep. and that's why we enjoy it so much you, know, you go to a rock concert or a trance gig for me or a blues gig for people who love blues is like through that whole experience it's like you get lost into a different world and you just feel it and yep. If you're moving into complete creativity for your whole life, as you said, if you if you just turned into just a creative soul, mm. that's really bordering on, I suppose, a madness of mm. of some sort. If you were creative all the time, yeah, yeah. you would you'd be looked upon as mad, anyway. Yeah, well, look at Jung's Red Book. Yeah, right. That's that was his most creative work, but he was also when he was going through his psychotic mm. episodes of his schizophrenia and all that sort of stuff. But. Yeah. I think um, for me, whenever I've gone through my highest creative states is that I've got so many ideas that I can never finish them. Mm. If, you, if you're very open to experience, it goes back to that reading that book. Like, I think there's a point where I, if I'm too creative and I don't, if I don't stop that creativity or at least kind of subdue it, 
then I don't get things finished. I don't get the you know, don't get the the book finished, or don't get the book written, or I don't get the the song right written, or whatever. It's because okay, well, what's next? What's next? What's next? Because the creativity, the chaos, is what gives me the excitement. Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, he was he did thousands of projects, half the month, well, more than half of the month finished. Like mm. he d nearly didn't finish anything. Um, but was mm. but was. Well, <laughs> Well, I just got sparked with something. I mean, what story is running for us that, that we must finish? Is creativity the journey? Mm -hmm. Is is it standards or stories running for us that things are connected to outcome and the economic cycle of completion, boom, move, boom, boom, task orientation? Which is bringing us back to what we talked about right at the beginning. Is yeah, kind it's of not, a, not a statement. It's a thought process. So it's, I'm not saying right or wrong, but I go... Where are we in the journey um, of settling into that's part of who you are? Do things have to be finished um, to be creative? I think um, two points I want to make there is one is that if you want a product to, if you want to take it to a sale, you want mm. to put it up to a market or you want it to be uh, used in a, in, a, in a manner, then yes, you have mm. to be able to have an end product. And that's where, yeah, the society comes in. But then from a personal experience, from the joy, mm -hmm. which I guess comes from the, the dopamine hit that you get from creating a pro an idea, yeah. is that when you get towards the end, the dopamine starts to wear off. See so what's next so I can get that next dopamine hit, that next chemical mm -hmm. release into my body to make me feel good. So you forget about that project and you go to the next one next because one. it's all about mm. your feeling. Mm. And this I guess, Instagram. This yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> scrolling, scrolling. Which I guess... On, upon reflection now, is, is that maybe a little bit of a selfish thing? Is that, you know, it's only for you to experience? Mm. Whereas, and this is me just reframing right now, is that if I actually finish these products, then it's not about me anymore. It's about the other individual. And I guess I'm just trying to look at a different perspective for myself of a way that I can frame it so I do get more projects for this, just for the conversation. Thank you, by the way. <laughs> that was a great comment. Um, yeah, I think if you are able, for me, if I'm able to not make it about myself, I'm about my pleasure and about my enjoyment and how I feel creating products or ideas actually haven't finished for other people. Mm. It's hard detaching from that though, isn't it? Mm, of course it's it is. It can be very hard because you have a lot of it is a selfish accent yeah. anyway. It goes um, back to that ego again, isn't it? It's, yep. it's, it's you, it's, it's, this is me, this is, this is my project. Yep. Yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. This is an essence of me as an artist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. And oh. then if you don't want to sh share it to the world because it's so personal, especially I know a lot of journaling and writing. Mm. I've got very dark stuff that I yeah, yeah, yeah. love to share. Um, mm, and next I, episode, Paul. <laughs> yeah, and I have and I have shared um, just recently, maybe eight weeks ago, shared some some of the very dark stuff from when I did my my you know, rewrite my personal mm -hmm. myth, and I put some of my darkest points. I had edited a few bits out because I didn't want to uh, put them in there. But the amount of uh, people that reached out to me because I put that up there, they were like. I'm having such a similar experience as you. I'm going through the same thing. Like, this is so powerful for me. It was like, wow, I didn't mm. expect this. I expect people to go laugh at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we always think that other person's got everything, not yeah. everything made, but they've got the right idea mm. or they're living a, a good life. So you always sort of, it's hard to receive that sort mm. of. Um, it's uncertain. We struggle with uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the space of nothingness. And that's that's tough, and it's tough for me. 
like to embrace into something that you do not know the outcome of. It's almost the journey is to come to a place of peace with uncertainty. And when we don't accept that things are uncertain and we fight against uncertainty, many times we get anxious, mm-hmm. you know, because you're not accepting that things are uncertain. So if I look at my own life, it's that if I look at my history, it's if I have a need for protection, I seek to control the uncertain. And as much as that is impossible, hasn't stopped me seeking to go, who do I need to talk to? How do I need to work this? What's that avenue? If I talk here, we might see this. And so it's that constant process of, I may not be able to stop, but can I diminish it? Mm. Now at the core of that, at the core of controlling uncertainty is a story that runs around acceptance. If I get it right, I'm accepted. If I'm accepted, I'm valued. And if I'm valued, I'm loved. Right. So this is what I mean by there's there's drivers in us that are powerful. It's like um, if you go to a, a water park and you're on that really quiet little meandering little lake or river on a raft, you know, underneath are extremely powerful jets that push the water underneath to be calm on top, but very powerful underneath. So the powerful the powerful jets for me is I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want to be valued. Well, how it shows up in the outside world is a very anxious existence endeavouring to do what I need to do to gain that outcome. Yeah. It's so powerful when you can um, really be able to reflect that deep on looking at your own behaviour to say, okay, where is it coming from? Because it is, it's it's all going to come from either lack of validation when you're a child from either your father or lack of love from your mother or, you know, and that leads to self-acceptance issues or self-love issues. So if you can look at your behavior and, and realize that and become aware of that, it's, it's that create that space so that you can actually change it. Right. Mm. You can actually, you can still move towards the uncertainty regardless of the story that you're telling yourself, whether I need to control it, if I can let go of that control and just focus on that endpoint without the control there, yes, there's going to be tension, there's going to mm. be anxiousness, there's going to be worry. But if you can sit with that and embrace it and still move forward anyway, um, then you, you know, you, you, you're taking steps, whether it's whether you're snail pace mm. or whether you're going like a rabbit, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. A question that's uh, helped me through that journey is what's the worst that can happen? Hmm. Yeah, we talked about the Stoics before. They play that stuff out. Yeah, of you course, know. Yeah. So if you play that out, what's the worst that can happen? You're grounding uncertainty. And, and what do no, you have control over? Like, yeah, where is the real control? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, Marcus Aurelius would say, "You. <laughs> That's the only control you have is over you <laughs> the and your response." Thought you just had about that thing. That's yeah. how you can control it. Yeah. So if you play that out, the worst thing that can happen, you ground it and you realize, well, okay, that person might say you're an idiot. Did I get cancer? Yeah. Did a family member die? Yeah. Like just ground it in its context. You realize, okay, you know, I can do this. That's a muscle. That's something you've got to practice at. I think um, this year, every year, uh, a group of uh, guys that we go to breakfast with, we have a word for the year. And that word for the year is kind of a bit of a, a, you know, an anchor point of, of what you want to kind of change. And for me, this year was fearless. Mm. And going back to that story where I was talking about the breath work and I nearly talked myself out of it, I told myself fearless. And when I told myself fearless, I pressed the button to go mm. to save and to post because it was like, actually, what is it that's stopping me? It's fear. <laughs> 
So <laughs> it's fear. You, pick, you picked that fearless mask on and slapped yeah, it yeah, on and just yeah, went straight yeah, through yeah. it. So, and that was a well-defined mask. That was one that just yeah. stopped you in your tracks. Yeah, yeah. And, you were... and so many times already this year, and what we're only eight weeks into the year, that there's fear has came up, and I've just told myself that story, mm. that narrative, put that mask on, fearless. Because yeah, it's 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 taken me to who I want and what I want. Yeah. Rather than being, you know, stuck by fear. Mm. So you should, you should have a cupboard full of little masks that you can, but well-defined ones, I think. Like your fearless one is a well-defined mask. Yeah, it's yeah. in your head. Yeah. It's not a wishy-washy one that you don't quite know what's going to happen when you put it on. It's like, no, I'm fearless now. Put it on. Move forward. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. definite yeah. thing, yeah. which is good. Yeah, and I think you, you look at all the, the the people who have been really successful, like you know, for example, people like Tony Robbins and all these big gurus and gurus, but all these big motivational speakers. When they get up on stage, there it's all a personas. Mm. Everything they've created is a persona. Like you know, David Goggins, for example, he's Goggins. Perfect. He's the mm. perfect example. He's like, you know, he was this guy who got abused racially. He was Damn. overweight and you know, had the worst life going. He tells a story, but then he created this whole alter ego which is the biggest <laughs> do you think he you. took it too far maybe just a little bit <laughs> yeah and okay this is goggins this is david goggins and just created yeah. a, a completely different person by mm. slapping that mask on and what, that's no. a strong mask and that's one he believes in as well yeah. that's like yeah, a yeah. truly connected mask yeah, yeah he's an insane stories character. are powerful yeah yeah. yeah 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 and it's interesting something like elon musk mm -hmm. um who's been up and down in the news recently and I was listening to a podcast earlier on, it's a Lex Friedman podcast, which is really interesting. He's an AI scientist in, at MIT, and he knows Elon Musk fairly well. But he's a really interesting character because you think you don't think when you think of Elon Musk, you don't think creativity. You think engineer getting stuff done, like it's you know he's just he, he seeps in knowledge and then does the action, gets it done. But it's highly creative. Like mm. his his mm. creativity disappears above everybody like his creativity is so far above everybody else literally <laughs> with mars and stuff like that that's mm. where his creativity is in that big thinking but he just executes as well and that's yeah. a really and steve jobs was the same like there's such a strong force of um of rule of getting yeah. things done um but the creative creativity was on such a different level from everybody else um and that's what makes people like that i think um, it's a, an odd combination and you don't often you only get a few of them in uh, in generations when you look at um, in, you know, in, in modern psychology you look at the big five model of, of personality and you've got openness you've got conscientiousness you've got uh, neuroticism introvert extroverted and there's one more I can't remember is that openness yeah, whether you're forgetful I think <laughs> <laughs> that kind of openness is openness to experience and there's uh, openness in, in general Mm. And the openness to experience domain is is intelligence. It's not it's it's not intellect. Intellect is your you know, your, 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 your what is it? IQ scores, but intelligence is just being open to ideas, which mm. is in essence is creativity. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But the combination of that with conscientiousness is what makes it powerful. Mm. If you are able to be open to experience and be conscientious, which is what Elon Musk is, which is Steve Jobs is, is they are very, very, very open to ideas. But then as soon as they've got an idea, they are so Boom. conscientious <laughs> on it. They're like, right, I am going for this idea, regardless of what anyone thinks. Like Elon Musk, like, he doesn't care. 
<laughs> he will. He's like, if it's not getting me to Mars, then I don't think about it. Yeah, yeah. So like, he doesn't care about <laughs> rules. <laughs> he blew. A, he doesn't he, care what anybody thinks yeah, about him. He doesn't. Yeah, yeah like didn't he blow up one of his um, space shuttles on a Sunday like the other day? And he's like, wasn't even meant to. He wasn't even meant to like send. He didn't he get permission. He said, oh, we'd probably think. Of it. We thought it would probably do that anyway. Yeah, so and was he was like, like, he didn't. He didn't give him permission to even. Like take it's like he doesn't care because his number one mission is to try and mm. and you can't change the world, you can't change the way think people think without being like that, because otherwise you're stuck in those rules, those boundaries. You're but you're stuck to society and it can't change. Yeah. The people who yeah. change the world are there's, people there's who a scary combination of these things. Yeah, and knowledge as well, yeah. like in-depth knowledge. Yeah. Like he's yeah, yeah, they're polarizing. Yeah, yeah they're polarizing individuals. Yeah. They, you, you can't sit in a room and either not agree or not be challenged by them. Yeah, it's the nature of who they are. Yeah, yeah and the self-help um, for the last what, sort of 10, 15 years, the self-help industry that's been built mm. up with using, I suppose, icons like that to, to sort of sell it to... It's very hard for people. They think they can get to that, that level. It takes a very, very special type of person. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean... I mean, even trying to read philosophy, like, I mean, you need to dedicate a lifetime to understand Nietzsche or Kant or whoever. Mm. Like, you need a lifetime to do it. And that's what I was saying before with listening to audiobooks. I'm skimming across lots of things, which I think for me is quite good, getting little ideas. But it's it's a very different thing to, to take it to the next level. And um, You've got to take the sacrifice, haven't you? And <laughs> like, who's willing to sacrifice enough of their life to be that, su- that successful oh, in yeah. one area? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, you've yeah. got family, you've got friends. You, you know, you, yeah. Do you want to go out for a beer? Oh, yeah, go on then. Like making that decision continuously <laughs> is moving you away from being an Elon Musk. Yeah. And like, he, of course. He, yeah, I guarantee you. Not, yeah. not many people are willing to, <laughs> no. to give that up, including no. myself. Like, no. Oh. Although I like to think so. <laughs> we can all dream. <laughs> like so. I'll be lucid dreaming about Steve Jobs tonight. <laughs> that doesn't sound very good, actually. <laughs> and Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, go and visit him. <laughs> But there are people that can inspire you, obviously, yeah. um, which we need. But there's there's realism in there as well. And understanding yourself again. This is coming back to understanding mm-hmm. who you are and what your real capabilities are. Um, and nature is probably one of these things that kind of we all have in common, I think, which we can use, use a lot more. So um, that's an hour and 24 minutes exactly. Nice. Pretty solid. That's a pretty solid conversation as well. With all my long experience in podcasts. <laughs> I know. You're a, you're a pro. You're a well, pro we did bro. 20, like, four minutes before you had the break with the um, whiskey, so. We did. Oh, yeah, there we <laughs> That's go. That's the first mini podcast. That could be the bonus episode at the end. Uh, hopefully it recorded. Oh, God. Is it still recording yeah, now? It is. <laughs> Power's not gone? No, it's not. And that one's still going as well, so, you know, we've got them. Um, got complete backup but um that was really good what would you say if people were listening to this would be your uh, any takeaway points that you would want to help say to people to perhaps just reflect on from this conversation self-awareness yeah that that i think it's one of the greatest things that we can seek to have because i think if we seek to understand ourselves and be self-aware we can change our story and if individuals change, then 
communities can change, families can change, society can change. And mm. I, I sometimes reflect that we are where we are in the world because we spend very little time seeking to understand what our drivers are. And if we did, then maybe we'd challenge some of those and uh, we could sit across the table from people and not be so polarized in our ideologies. Mm. We might seek to understand mm. each other. Listen um, a little bit, I think. Yeah. yeah. So I think seeking to be self-aware and spending the time to do that, I think, is a really powerful thing. Wider out there, but also if you want peace, if you want a life mm. of peace, and I think that's what I want is just to be at peace, then self-awareness will help me get there. Yeah. I like that. I think for myself it would be embrace the nutcase, embrace the madness and the creativity but under, try understand it to a degree as well and control it. Um, but I think um, you know daily to embrace some form of creativity and, mm. and sort of chaos is is a, a good um, a good diet for the mm. mind. I think. Yeah, I think when you're in that creative state, you have to embrace it. Um, whether that means just dedicating some time to put it into an outlet that you can utilize it, because I think it's just an energy at mm. the end of the day. Um, Oh, so yeah. it's chemical, it's everything. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, just your yeah. body reacting to, yeah. to to something. Yeah, I think mine would be the most powerful one, one that I, I talked about a little bit earlier, but just writing down those personas that you, mm, you, you've okay. had throughout your life and just look at go, okay, well, if I, if I put this out to the world, what's the opposite of that? And is there anything in there that I'm trying to hide and why? Mm. And if I find anything that I'm trying to hide, is it because I don't accept myself? Mm. But then look into anything that you can actually utilize in there, whether that be assertiveness, whether it be aggressiveness. You know, can you channel that and utilize yeah. it in a yeah, sport? Or, yeah, yeah. And because once you're able to get that out again, you can integrate it into life. Mm. I like that. And I've got a, yeah, a few, per, few personas I can probably write down from little incidents as, mm. as a kid or, or when I was younger, for mm. sure that I know have influenced me because they're always, they come back. They mm. come back to mm. try and say, you know, this is something that happened here. So, yeah, I'll definitely, um, I'll take on that for sure. Mm. Good exercise. Well, that's the exercise of today, then, <laughs> is to write down your personas. Go back in time or, or your personas now. Yeah. Your persona yeah, yeah. yesterday morning while you were having breakfast. Well, thank you very much, guys. Thank, thank you for you. your conversation. The whiskey was quite nice. It was really good. nice. I we could have really sneaked another that. one in, but we, we were good. We put our good masks on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for uh, connecting us as well. No, yeah, no, yeah, the conversation. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah thank you, guys. Very good. Yeah. I enjoyed it.